Hey guys, this is the C3 Church Malmo podcast. I am believing God will speak to you today and that a greater level of faith will be unlocked in your life. For more information about C3 Church, go to c3malmo.se. God bless. You know, Matthew 19 says something very simple but simply profound. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. I believe as children of the living God, we need to be doing intentionally, taking on things that are impossible. Could I have the house lights up, please? Taking on things that are impossible. And that's actually why we start the year off with prayer and fasting and filling in a dream card or a faith card to literally bring down onto paper what you feel like is impossible in your world. And so if you've not had the opportunity to fill one of these in, just keep it in your Bible, make it a part of your devotions, just engage with it. I'm believing that there's impossible things that will be made possible in Jesus' name. As a church, we shared at the Vision Gala two impossible things that we're taking on this year as a church. Launching C3 Lund later this year and also starting to establish and figure out how do we move forward um, in the area of working and working with broken people in, in the ministry of City Hearts out of the UK in Sheffield. And so today that's where I really want to go and lay a foundation around these two things, particularly the City Hearts. And I explained on the Vision Gala that as a church, our previous seasons of church, we were seeded, we, we became a seedling, we burst through the soil and we put out a leaf here and a leaf there and we're about this tall. You know what I'm talking about. It's the most fragile period of a church plant. And a lot of church plants fail in that season of being a seedling. But now we're a, we're a young tree. Our roots have gone down deep and continue to go deep and We've got some branches growing, and we've got more branches to grow. We've got C3 Lund branch growing out, and we've got City Hearts Lund starting to shoot and push out, and that's going to go out, and each of those branches are going to produce fruit. And as the church continues to grow and as we continue to expand, we'll see more and more branches to this young tree as it continues to grow. And so let me encourage you, be praying for your church. And one of the categories on here, there's three categories on the faith cut, um, in my life, in my family, and in my church. Faith goals. Can I ask you to, if you have not filled that in, to fill that in and be praying for your, for your life and for your family and for your church. And, and so today I want to just lay a foundation to part two of this message. And that will be after Pastor, next weekend, the one after that, I'll do part two to this message. And so I just want to lay, yeah, a foundation around the aspect of healing. The title is Healing on Purpose. And I want us to be, what's the word, confronted, encouraged, um, to a place of conviction. Because I've been moved to conviction. Um, you see, when... As a Christian, there's, there's two kinds of conviction. There's the conviction of, of sin where we need to repent and, and ask for apology. It might be a conviction of something that I said in the way I spoke it to another person. I need to go and ask apology. You know, the Bible talks about the conviction of the Holy Spirit that we need to make something right that we have done wrong. But there's a second kind of conviction, and that is the conviction of knowing something that God has asked us to do that we need to do. There's a conviction of knowing 
something that we need to step out into. And I've got to tell you, I've had a growing and a deepening conviction around these two things that we're doing this year. If I look at a little bit of recent church history, if we look at the modern church, we're living in the postmodern church. If we look at the season or the era before that, maybe when I was a child, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ in those days was quite literally just to learn Scripture. If you could memorize, everything was about memorizing verses of Scripture, and the more that you memorize, the more mature you were as a Christian. Back in those days, nations adhered to Christian values. Back in those days, governments adhered to decisions around Christian values. Christianity was fairly central to our way of life, and life was good, and everybody behaved themselves to a degree. But as we slip into the postmodern world and the decline of society, we see also the decline of emotional health and relationships and morality, the overall well-being inside and outside of the church on decline. And, and so we have this paradigm of discipleship that is just learning Scripture, not being fully prepared for the need we face today. That learning Scripture is absolutely fundamental and important, but it's incomplete. It's such an important part, but in itself, it's not fully complete in what we need to do today in making disciples of Jesus Christ. Are you tracking with me today? And so it's very easy for us as a church, and I'm talking about in a general sense globally or in the West, to become numb to the challenges in our society to go, that goes in my too hard box. I'm not sure what to do about that box. But how do we look at what we're facing today? How do we make whole disciples of broken lives? And so this last two days, Thursday and Friday, I had the privilege of going to C3 Church in Sheffield. Uh, it's, a, it's a big church there. They've been around for a long time and very effective church. And, and 15 years ago, they started this ministry called City Hearts. And it was quite simply, they took some broken lives in and just loved them. Today, 15 years later, they have 160 people on paid staff and are nationally recognized as one of the top charities in helping and restoring broken lives. Quite phenomenal. I, I was privileged to be there with about 50 other people from 12 nations, from Sri Lanka, from Canada, from New Zealand, from Switzerland, from Germany, from the Netherlands, from all over the world, from South Africa, coming for a day and a half conference to work out how can we bring this into our church, into our region, into our cities. I was, I was profoundly impacted by the quality and the effectiveness of that ministry. I was profoundly impacted by the way they did ministry, the way they loved people into wholeness, the way they persevered, the way they, they, they had to battle very challenging circumstances. And so I want to just go down that track a little bit today. And next week I'll, I'll share more about their journey. And so today we're just laying a bit of a foundation and hopefully I'm going to see a, 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 an awakening 
more in my soul and your soul about having a compassion for our city. That it is far from perfect, it is far from whole. And that there's so many people out there looking for a lifeline and God is going, you are the lifeline. And so when we look at healing in a general sense, I kind of break it up into four categories. And to be really honest, I don't know if there's more or less, but this is what I've come up with. And the first one I want to touch on, touch on is the area of the power healing, the miraculous of the instantaneous healing of someone's physical body or emotions or something like that, where somebody comes forward at a conference or in, in this service and they say, listen, I've got a, I've got a really bad back and we pray and we we see that healing instantaneous and that's really awesome because Luke in Luke 9 verse 1 it says one day Jesus called together the 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all the demons and to heal all the diseases it is something that God calls us to do and I've got to say the church in general has done a pretty good job with this area of healing there is a lot of miraculous healing going on in the body of Christ around the world and people have got okay with it and see it as a fairly normal thing today but there's other aspects of healing number two for me is being discipled into healing discipleship is always in the context of relationship it's not a bible college it's in the context of meaningful relationship I call it life on life And Jesus modeled that with his disciples where they spent 24-7 together for three years. That we take that scripture that we're learning and meditating on on a regular basis and apply it into our lives in the context of relationship, in the context of community. It's so difficult to do that on your own. And so we see in the first one the miraculous healing of prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. But we also see healing in the context of discipleship. And this is what I know about discipleship. There are some ingredients that you need to have in your character and personality if discipleship is going to function in your life. And that is humility and self-awareness. Humility and self-awareness. I need to be humble enough to have people see me. I need to have the humility to walk with somebody that can speak into my life, that can love me, that can be a positive influence in my life. I need to have that humility to go, Lord, I am incomplete. I need help. I want to grow. I want to be the most effective, fruitful person for you. And I recognize that where I am today, that's probably not going to reach fulfillment. I need humility to say, hey, I want to grow. What's my next step? And I do that in the context of relationship. The second part to the ingredient is self-awareness. I need to be aware, and not everybody is, that I need help. That I need voices in my life, voices of grace, voices of strength, voices of encouragement, voices that spur me on to greater things, that spur me on to to shape shift and and become more like Jesus. I need to be aware and get rid of the blind spots or the spots that I'm ignoring to recognize that I need help. And so humility and self-awareness are key ingredients, but 
Discipleship brings healing. When you apply the word and the scriptures and the renewing of the mind, and my father would say getting rid of stinking thinking, getting rid of those lies, getting rid of those thought patterns that have been embedded into our soul and renewing our mind with the truth of the word, that brings healing. That brings the adjustment that we're looking for. And thirdly, I would say culture brings healing. Culture. The kingdom of God itself. His expression here on earth, this brings healing. The context of God's presence, the work of the Holy Spirit, the fellowship, your connect group. Can I tell you, your connect group? There's so many people in this city that would love to be in your connect group. Why? Because people will love them. They're looking to belong. They're looking to be received just for who they are, not to be judged, not to be criticized. The city is full of people that would love just to be in something that we don't even fully appreciate anymore because it's so normal to us. You know what I'm talking about? but yet so foreign to so many people in this city. A warm environment where people only think and want the best for you. So the first one is the miraculous prayer of healing. The second one is the healing through discipleship and the application of God's Word in your life. The third one is the culture, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit active in your life, coming in to church on a regular basis and being a part of what God's doing. My story, I've shared it numerous times over the years and I'll share it again. I'm the youngest of five boys, hence the name Quinton. Quinn means five. My parents were very clever. All right, I'll tell you what my fourth brother, number four, the one above me is called. Yeah, you're going to love this. Benjamin Quartus. Quartus means four. So we're not going to talk about if he had a sixth child, sixth son, what that would be called. Any suggestions? No, we're not going to say that word. Anyway, I grew up in a, a family of men. And uh, being the youngest, I was pretty much ignored, left to myself. Because as I grew up, my, my parents' relationship started to disintegrate. And alcohol started to find its place in their lives. And I remember as a teenager, as a young teenager, 12, 13, 14, coming home literally, and I kid you not, every single night hearing my mother screaming at my father. You see, both of them were drinking heavily. My father did it openly. My mother did it privately. So by the time my father came home from work, she was already halfway there. I'd find cups of whiskey in the cupboard, in the laundry. So this was the context of growing up. Every night, I'd be out in the back room, supposedly doing my homework and watching TV, listening in the distance to the screaming match. Do you know how dysfunction can become normal? You're normal. And so I grew up in a, an environment where there was a lot of physical violence amongst the brothers, not from the parents to the kids, but amongst the brothers, that home was a place you avoided. Home was a place 
you only had to be there to meet your physical needs of food and sleep. My, I would see my brothers absolutely verbally abuse my mother. And we would learn to quickly ignore and keep our distance from our father. So that was the family I grew up in. How was yours? Here's the, here's the, here's the good bit. We were good churchgoers. We were a good Christian family. We gave constantly. We went to youth group. So when I talk about old school church was about just learning the scriptures, but not the discipleship of applying it into your life, that's what I'm talking about. That there was no one there to call my parents into check. They didn't have humility and self-awareness where people could help them and rescue their family. Instead of raising five broken young men, raising five healthy, strong, capable men. And so one day I came home, and this is where I got the revelation of my life. I came home as a 17-year-old, I think I was 16 and a half, from school. My brother, just above me, number four, was already home from school. And I came home, the house was empty. I said, oh, where's mum? And he said, oh, she's gone. And I went, yeah, well, when is she going to be, be back? I mean, thinking she's gone shopping. And we did this for three times. And I go, what do you mean she's gone if she hasn't gone shopping? She goes, he goes, she's left home. Look, half the stuff is taken. She's taken half the stuff. And this is where it all came together for me. This is where the self-awareness kicked in. My first thought when my mother left home and walked away from us was, I guess I'm cooking dinner tonight. And immediately I had that thought. Immediately I thought, whoa, 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 whoa. Something's wrong here. Something's wrong with me. This, I know enough that that is not a normal response to have when your mother walks out. You see, I would go around to a friend's house and, and uh, I'd see him joking and interacting with his father and I would literally do a double take and step back and go, what is that? I'd go on school camps for a week and there'll be young students crying because they're homesick and I'm going, what is that? This is awesome. A week away from home. And so one day, while my mother was, had left, my father had a decision to make. He was in the courts. He had lost a nationally recognized business. He was, he was in medicine. He had uh, done some unethical practices in his practice. And he was in the, in the newspapers. He was in court. And he was about to lose everything, everything that was him. And he said to me, son, I had a choice to make, and that was leave the country with all the money and cash I could take, option one. Option two was to commit suicide. And he said, I had the syringe next to my bed and contemplated it for several hours. And number three was to get right with God. Thankfully, he chose number three. And my father, being a type A workaholic personality, a high achiever, when he chooses to do something, he's all in, boots and all. And so there's a missionary cousin of his in a, in, a, in a retirement home not far from our house who we hardly knew. He went to him and got discipled 
every day because he couldn't work for about a year to two years for several hours a day. He went to him and he got the truth of the word into his life and brought it into his world. Because of that discipling, he wrote letters to every single person he could think of and apologize for things that he had done. Other colleagues, other businesses, his sons, his wife, his, his own brothers and family. He wrote letters and made phone calls to bring restoration to relationship. I witnessed all of this. I was the youngest. I was the only one at home. I witnessed for the first time the power of God working in somebody's life. Been to church all my life, never seen it. But this time it was up close and personal, very personal. I knew there was a God and I was a lost young man. I had no idea about my future. I hated school. I had no idea about myself. But I knew there was a God. Something went in to me through youth group and through church. I knew there was a God. And so through the transformation of my father, I got saved myself. I I can't give my testimony without giving his. It is so intertwined. And it's through that process I also gave my life to serving him and doing whatever he wanted with me. You see, my hurt is not my fault. My brokenness is not my fault. But it is my responsibility to seek healing. You see, when you've got brokenness from the way that you were raised or some of the maybe not so wise decisions you made in your life, what occurs is that there's a a weakness in your soul, a weakness in your personality. If I could make it in a physical sense, it's like walking around with a sprained ankle or a broken leg It tends to be visible to other people, but you're so used to it and walking like this and so used to not being able to run or skip or dance. Everybody else can do that, but I can't because I've got this wound in my soul that needs to be healed. Are you with me today? So it's not my fault that I was broken, but it is my responsibility to be healed. God's intention is always to bring wholeness and healing. That's what he does best. That's the key thing on his agenda. And I don't think we ever grow out of that process. I think our issues are always there, but hopefully to a lesser and lesser degree as we grow in him and rely on him. And so that's the first three things. The first one is the miraculous prayer of healing through the power of the Holy Spirit. The second one is the discipling through to healing. The third one is the culture, kingdom culture, brings healing. Thirdly, I find, uh, fourthly, I find incredibly challenging. The fourth one I, I feel like is something that right now is beyond me. If you remember at the Vision Gala, I talked about how God has given us different words for different seasons of the church and that these words are words that we will grow into. They aren't 
we aren't fully mature in these words yet. And those three words for this season is, he wants us to function in his power, know his presence, and see his prosperity on this church. Power, presence, prosperity. Prosperity is gro- uh, growth and fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. To see fruit. The air of power, I think, is this what we're talking about today. To take authority, like it says in the first scripture I read, that he has given us power and authority to bring healing in people's lives through the miraculous prayer, through discipling, through culture. But God takes it to a whole new level in this fourth point that I find personally so much more challenging. He says this in 2 Chronicles 7.14, Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore or heal their land. Too hard basket. Let's just stick with the first three. Heal, restore, recover, make whole, prosper their land. He doesn't say, if the sinners would stop sinning, I will heal their city. He doesn't say, if the people in authority and government would stop making ungodly decisions, I will heal your city. He says, if my people in C3 Church Malmer, who are called by my name, I've got a vision for you that goes beyond just the healing of one person, that goes beyond just the testimony of me. He says, I can heal your city. But I'm going to need you to be a key part of it. I need you to seek me. And here's the cool thing, which I think many of us misunderstand. He says, and repent from their wicked ways. It's interesting, because there's several references to this in Scripture, and Nehemiah is a great example Nehemiah, the story of Nehemiah is a key story to the foundation of this church. I've preached on it many times. It's a cornerstone message. And Nehemiah, he was a, um, he was a, a trusted individual by the king. He, he, he tasted the wine and tasted the food before the king ate it. He was so trusted. He, you could imagine standing next to the king all day, or at least three times a day when he had food, and then maybe snacks in between the main meals and drinks. And he, he was there all the time next to the king. Who do you think the king is chatting to all day? Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a man of excellence and integrity. And here's the thing about kings. They wanted to control the atmosphere around them. They wouldn't allow anyone to be depressed or critical. They wanted an up atmosphere at all times. You see, kings were all about themselves. They're all about their longevity to, be, to reign as long as possible. They're all about having a, a good, positive feel and vibe. They're all about the blessing of their lineage and the line to come. It was all about them and the possibility that someone would come into their presence that was downcast and depressed was actually life-threatening. And Nehemiah knew that more than anyone. And here he comes to work, breakfast time. He's got to test those cornflakes again, see if the milk's a little sour. 
And the king sees straight away that he's carrying something. That he's not just sad, but that he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. And the king said, Nehemiah, what's wrong? And Nehemiah knew this, this was a kind of a make or break situation. How, how do I answer this? And he answered him honestly. He took the risk and he said, you know what? My country, my nation's not in great shape. Jerusalem is destroyed, the walls are crumbled, and the enemies are just coming and going as they like. What was the glory of God is now the shame of the world. You see, Nehemiah captured something in his heart about his nation that I long for me to increase in and I encourage you the same. He said, when he prayed to God on behalf of his people, he said, forgive us for we have sinned. He said, forgive us. When he prayed for his city, he didn't say, forgive them, God. They're sinners. They're dirty, rotten sinners. Forgive them. Your mercy endures forever. Lord, you have your grace. It's there. I know you can forgive them. Forgive them. He didn't. He said, forgive us. He was a man of excellence and integrity. He wasn't saying that I have sinned. He's saying we have sinned. He stepped into their shoes, came into their space with compassion and humility. And behalf of them, stepped in and said, we have sinned. Forgive us, Lord. That's a whole new level. That's a whole new level of humility. That's a whole new level of love. That's a whole new level of ownership that God's asking us to step into. If my people in Malmö, not someone else, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. You see, wherever God goes, wherever his churches are established and planted and flourish, his glory is revealed. Every time a church fails, shrinks, becomes ineffective or completely dies, his, his glory shrinks. Whenever a church becomes a cafe or a restaurant, his glory shrinks. So you might ask, why are we planting in Lund? Because we have an enemy that is destroying churches in our nation. And we need to establish God's glory all over Skåne, from Lund to Helsingborg to Trelleborg to central Malmö. And then we begin again further. God's given us a mission to bring healing to our cities. And the way we do that is through the miraculous prayer uh, of healing. It is through the discipling. And it is through the culture of the kingdom of God being revealed through local churches. Right now, I want you to watch a video from a testimony from a young lady that has gone through the program at City Hearts, who is now on staff at City Hearts. Let this touch your heart.
I was born in Nigeria. Growing up, I was starved, beaten and abused. My life was regularly threatened. I ran away in fear of my life. It was there I met a lady who took me in and looked after me. She said she would help me and would take me to the UK for training. I was taken to the north of England. I was forced to sleep with men who regularly came to the house. She told me this was now my life. On many occasions, I became pregnant. When I did, my auntie would give me strong medicines along with a lot of alcohol and use a metal hanger to remove the fetus. At the age of 21, I escaped or got into a relationship with a man who was controlling and abusive. I became pregnant. I would spend days, days in the house with my two young children, freezing and with no money for food. I felt I had no choice but to secretly sleep with men to get enough money to eat. Eventually, we were thrown out of the house after the man realized what I was doing. It was then I was, I was referred to City Hearts as a victim of human trafficking. I was in a dark place, being part of a deal with something, always having to be given in return. With the help of City Hearts and counseling, I have gone from survival and just getting through each day to living. I'm living my life and I'm full of hope. I don't know what the future holds, but I'm... But I'm hopeful. My, my daughter said to me this morning, Mommy, you're a superwoman. And I was, I was able to reply, Yes, I am. Matthew 25. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger. And you invited me in. I was naked and you gave me some clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked, and give you clothing? When did, you, when did we see you sick or imprisoned to visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of my brothers and sisters, you are doing it to me. It is only out of my wholeness that I can bring healing. It is this sort of situation and context that we are stepping into as a church. Over the coming years, as we take steps towards establishing this kind of ministry, I'm going to invite you to get your hands dirty. I'm going to invite you to love at a level that we've never had to before. 
I'm going to ask you to give in ways that you've never done before. And I'm going to enjoy watching you be more fulfilled, more satisfied, more joyful than you've ever been before in your life when you see these stories repeated over and over and over again. Let's stand up and pray. Lord Jesus, I just ask that you would come with your Holy Spirit and speak to our hearts. Lord, you've called us to live by faith and by your Holy Spirit. And as a church, as we step into a zone that is in some ways new and in some ways not, it is a step of faith. The path is not clear, but we do know this. It is clear in your heart. You've said, if you seek me, if you stand in the gap for the, for the people of our cities and call out my name, call into my name and repent, just like your son Jesus did for every single one of us, he, he stepped into our shoes and became sin. He petitioned you for us. He was our advocate. Because we could not be. And Lord, our cities are filled with people who are looking for an advocate that would reach down their hand of love and grace and healing and bring them into wholeness and into life. You said, Lord, you have come to set the captive free. Lord, I pray today that this will be the beginning of an adventure where we will become experts. We will become ruthless at setting the captive free in Jesus' name. Move us and shake us. Shift our compassion into action. Lead us into our next steps in Jesus' name. And Lord, as we look at Vision Builders, I would encourage you, if you have not yet given to Vision Builders, that you will take this envelope and give generously to this cause this year. You don't have to put your name on it that you would be moved to a place of generosity that we can already help as we establish this ministry. Lord, we commit this to you. We, we welcome you. We, we welcome your guidance. We, welcome, we pray for divine opportunities. We pray for divine connections in government and in local communes. We pray for divine people to come our way and our way to them, Lord, that where you will open doors, Lord. We recognize that this is a journey of faith where you are so intricately involved. We commit all this to you. And we just pray for a spirit of generosity amongst us all in Jesus' name. We praise you. We love you. We love what Jesus has done for us that we would walk in his shoes and do the same for our cities, for Lund, for Malmö, and beyond. In Jesus' mighty name we pray.